Well, hey everyone, my name is Steven and I am one of the pastors here at Journey Church. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that this helps you on your walk with Jesus, but also that it encourages you to get plugged into a local community of believers. Hey, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that being isolated from others is not how God intended us to live. So be sure to use this resource in conjunction with being plugged into your local church. Hey, we hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, like Jack, we all have comfort zones. They may not look the same. But did you catch what was said at the end of the video? That life lived inside our comfort zone is life lived outside of God's will. Accidents happen. Things don't go according to plan. When plan A becomes plan W or plan X, we get distressed. We get anxious. We don't like it when things don't go according to plan. I'm sure that whoever owns this did not wake up that morning and say, I'm going to go bury my tractor in mud. Now, I grew up in a dry place like Gillette, and I spent a week looking at that wondering, where'd they get that much water to make mud? But sometimes when our plans get wrecked, we actually wreck the plans of other people, pun intended. A lot of people uh, had things not going their way that day. The problem is we become disappointed with God. We know that God has the power to change things, but sometimes he doesn't. That causes us stress. Some of the most terrifying things that we can hear might be, I'm sorry to tell you that you have cancer and it's stage four. Or, I no longer want to be married to you. I want a divorce. Or how about this? The company that you work for is going out of business. I hope you find another job. Or even, the wildfire will be here in one hour. You have to evacuate your home now. Some of us have heard these things. Some of us will hear these things. My question today is, will we react or will we respond? What will we do when God doesn't meet our expectations? Let's pray, and then we're going to look at some examples from Scripture. Father, today I I ask that these examples that we look at would give us inspiration, would give us hope, and would give us examples of how to live our lives. For your glory and for your honor, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first passage I want to look at is in Luke chapter 7. Speaking of John the baptizer, John the immerser, Then John's disciples told him about all these things. So John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord, asking, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for someone else? When the men reached him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for someone else? At that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits, And he granted sight to many blind people. He replied to them, Go and report to John the things you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, 
the lame walk, those with skin diseases are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And anyone who is not offended because of me is blessed. I find this to be a curious passage for two reasons. One, I am amazed at Jesus' response. And two, I question why John didn't understand these things. John had already heard these things. He's in prison. This crazy king named Herod wants him dead. And John hears that Jesus is doing all these miracles. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask Jesus, are you the one? Are you the guy? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one we're waiting for? Or do we need to wait for someone else? And Jesus, he already knows what John's been told because he's God. And he tells John exactly the same thing that John already knew. It's interesting, though, Jesus left out one part that he had said applied to him in another passage. He did not tell John that he had come to set the captives free. Now, I'm sure John wants to hear that. But what about John? John the immerser, John the baptizer, he's Jesus' cousin. Mary went to visit John's mother Elizabeth while they were both pregnant. But in the book of John, which is written by the disciple John, it says that John the Baptist didn't know Jesus. So John must have grown up in the desert and Jesus in the city. But John was preaching one day and he sees Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said that. But why doesn't John remember this while he's in prison? And later he said, I am not worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus. John and Jesus had this discussion one day of who was going to baptize who. Jesus won, of course. But while John is baptizing Jesus, the Spirit of God comes down from heaven like a dove right next to John, and John sees this. And he hears God say, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. That's the John that I'm talking about. What's changed? John's in prison and he's out of his comfort zone. And he doesn't want to be there. Does Jesus answer John's question? I'll get back to that in a minute. The second passage I want to look at in the book of John, chapter 11. Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place he was. 
And then in verse 17, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now in the next verse, she says, I know that God will do whatever you ask. But at this moment, what Martha is really saying to Jesus, Jesus, if you had just done what I, what I asked when I asked you to do it, I wouldn't be in this situation. She was acting out of her own power, out of the flesh. Her assumption was she knew what needed to happen. And apparently Jesus didn't. Oftentimes we struggle with a similar thing. What are some of the results of disappointment with God? A loss of awe, a loss of respect, a loss of worship. I'll show him, I'll ignore him. That leads to an inadequate view of God. Many people believe that God got the world spinning and now he's hands off. But that is not what scripture teaches us. When we have an inadequate view of God, we focus on our circumstances instead of him. And that leads to frustration and anger. A counselor told me once, anger, excuse me, frustration is anger at 15 miles an hour instead of 80 miles an hour. It's a slow burning anger. And then we distance ourselves from God. We cut ourselves off from the only one who can sustain us. We stop praying. We stop reading our Bible. We stop going to church. It would be like a bunch of grapes cutting themselves off from the vine. And instead of becoming the absolute best bunch of grapes that they could be, they become raisins. They begin to wither and die. A couple other examples from scripture. Joseph. Joseph was sold by his brothers to a group of Ishmaelites. Today we would say a family of Jews sold their brother to a family of Muslims because that's what happened. I'm sure that that shoved Joseph out of his comfort zone. Later he gets to go to prison because Potiphar's wife accuses him of something he didn't even do. Again, out of his comfort zone. But God uses those things so that later Joseph will save the nation of Israel. David. David was anointed king over Israel. But there's a small problem. There's already a king over Israel. And he wants David dead. And so for seven years, David is on the run. Many times just outside of the grasp of Saul. But while he's in the desert, he's learning everything he will need to know to become king over Israel. And if you don't think David was out of his comfort zone, check out Psalm 13. David wrote these words. How long, O God, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me? If you're discouraged, don't read Psalm 13. It's not a warm and fuzzy psalm. David pours out his heart before God. And God honors that by putting it in his word. And we read that centuries later. I recently read a story, actually yesterday. There were a couple of workers who take the Jesus film in difficult places in the world, countries that we can't name because they are hostile to Christianity. And every morning, these guys wake up. Maybe it's guys and gals that didn't say. But these people wake up and they pray, Holy Spirit, lead us to where you want us to go. And so this particular morning, they're led to go down a particular road, and they end up at a compound. There's a lot of people there. They don't know why. They just know the Holy Spirit said, go here. Approximately 670 children were in this compound. Well, when they found out that these men were there to talk about Jesus, these men or women figured out that they were going to be arrested. So one of them turns on a device in his backpack and then leaves his backpack. And they take the two people to the police station. They are beaten. They are interrogated. And when they think that they have intimidated them, they release them. The two made their way back to the compound. And they get there. And most of these 670 children are watching their cell phones. And so they decided, let's see what's going on. Well, the device in the backpack was a battery-operated wireless hotspot. And it sends out a signal to everyone within a 150-foot radius with an invitation to watch the Jesus film in their language. Most of these children were watching the Jesus film. Then they learned that the parents of these children were wealthy people who were supporting terrorists. The children asked them a question. They asked a lot of questions, but the last one was, how do we tell our parents about Jesus? That's a great story, but we have to remember, two people had to get arrested and beaten in order for those 670 to hear the gospel. Again, outside of a comfort zone. The other example I want to talk about is Leah. Leah's story actually begins with three other people. A man named Jacob falls in love with a woman named Rachel. And uh, Rachel's dad, Laban, tells Jacob, yes, you can marry my daughter, but you have to work for me for seven years, which he does. And it's said in scripture that the time seemed to fly by because of his love for Rachel. On the wedding day, I imagine that she was wearing a veil and that it was dark when they went to their tent for their honeymoon that night because the next day when Jacob wakes up, he realizes it's not Rachel in the tent with him. It's Leah. Now, Scripture says that she has hard eyes. Some interpret that to mean she's blind. Others say she was hard to look at. Jacob wakes up with the ugly sister, not his beautiful bride, and he's ticked. 
And so he goes to his father-in-law, and his father-in-law says, well, that's the way it's done in our culture. Complete this wedding week with Leah, and then I'll give you the one you want, and oh, by the way, you owe me another seven years of labor. Jacob the deceiver had been deceived. So Leah has Jacob for one week. At the end of that week, her sister joins the family. Her sister is resentful and hates her. And they will fight for the rest of Leah's adult life for the attention, the affection, and the intimacy of their husband. Leah has to coerce Jacob to spend time with her. It's, it says in scripture that Leah was not loved. So God opened her womb and gave her the ability to bear children. That was one of the few things that a woman could do in that culture and have any value. But do you get what I just said? She is having sexual relations with a person who doesn't love her. This goes on her entire life. If she married in her early 20s, she would have spent 50, 60, 70 years in this relationship where she's not wanted, her sister hates her, and she has to fight to spend time with her husband. And yet, from Leah will be born a child named Judah. And one of Judah's descendants is King David. And one of the other descendants that we know about is Jesus the Savior of the world. But Leah had to be out of her comfort zone in order for that to happen. Some solutions to disappointment with God. Get into your Bible. A starvation diet makes us weak and anemic. If the only time you read scripture is when the pastor puts it on the screen on Sunday morning. You have a starvation diet, and that is not good for your spiritual health. Ignorance of God's word makes us do stupid stuff. I had a friend who had her house for sale. It wasn't selling. An evangelistic ministry came to town, and someone from that ministry went to her home, and they prophesied over her that she would sell her home in a short amount of time. Well, that time came and went, weeks went by, months went by before she finally sold her home. She was distraught. She was discouraged. She was depressed. She was convinced that she had done something to make God mad at her. I actually said to her, what is wrong with you? Scripture says, don't be afraid of the false prophet. Actually, it continues and says that they need to be taken out behind the city walls to the landfill and stoned to death because that'll take care of this false prophecy problem. But she didn't know what God's word said. She assumed that it was her fault. She didn't know her Bible. God's word tells us that the spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. This is not a popular verse in a lot of churches today, but scripture tells us that if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we will suffer. 
Aaron just did an end times sermon series talking about how we're getting closer if we aren't already in the end times. And I believe we are. But that also means that things are going to get more difficult for us. The time is coming where we will be hated by others and people who will think they are doing the world a service if they kill us. We need to be mentally prepared for that. It doesn't mean we're going to suffer every day, all day, for years and years and years, but suffering is coming. In Hebrews chapter 10, we're told, but remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through insults and distress, and partly by becoming companions with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better and lasting possession. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not among those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith for the safekeeping of the soul. The writer of Hebrews is telling these people they did a good thing. When people were being mistreated, they went and they helped them, and they got mistreated because of that. Their property was stolen from them for simply being a believer in Jesus Christ. And they were joyful about it. They had the right attitude. And he goes on to say that we need endurance and we need confidence because of what is coming. The second solution to disappointment with God, get a different perspective. Change our attitude. My friend Kent said, when you think God is failing, God is doing some of his best work. Did you catch that? When we think God is failing, God is doing some of his best work. Martha thought God wasn't doing anything, Jesus specifically, when Lazarus died. But if Lazarus hadn't died, how could he demonstrate that he had the power to raise Lazarus from the dead? It wasn't Martha's plan, but it was Jesus's plan. John the baptizer had to decide by faith, is Jesus the Messiah? He asked Jesus, are you the one? It's a yes or no question. Jesus simply told him what he already knew. I think Jesus was saying, John, you have all the information you need. Choose. I think there are some in this room who think, well, if I just had more information, I could put my faith in Christ. The problem is we can never have enough information. And secondly, if we did, we would be making the decision from logic rather than faith. And scripture tells us we have to believe in Jesus by faith. Martha. Martha had to decide by faith, is Jesus good when he doesn't do things my way and my timing? 
I struggle with this. This best part's for me. I have great plans. If God would just get on board and bless those. The problem is they weren't God's plans. And I need to be good with that. And then Leah. Leah had to decide by faith. Will I still follow God if my circumstances don't change? If my circumstances don't change for 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years, will I still worship God? What is our response to trials or difficulties? Maybe you're thinking, well, Dave, I don't really struggle with this. Okay. How did you do with COVID last year? Or maybe on Wednesday, November the 4th, if your candidate lost, did you feel like the world was somehow spinning out of God's control? Somehow God doesn't know who needs to be elected? Maybe you're in a marriage situation where the other person doesn't come to church. They don't love God. They don't love you. There's no infidelity. There's no abuse. So you don't even have biblical reasons for divorce. Like Leah, you're just stuck. You keep praying and praying and praying, but God doesn't seem to be changing anything. How will you respond? My friend said, sometimes we say, Lord, you're up there. I'm down here. You just don't get it. The God of the universe who made atoms and molecules doesn't get what's going on today in my life. It's a wrong perspective. Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We say we believe that, but like Martha, when someone dies, we question that. Was that really the best thing? I mean, think about it from Lazarus's perspective. He died. He was in paradise. God brings him back from the dead. And so many people start following Jesus that the Pharisees say, you know what? We got to kill both of those guys because this is out of control. And now Lazarus has to die again. <laughs> Probably out of his comfort zone. <clears throat> I love 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul says, we do not lose heart. We do not give up. But the secret of that is we have to be inwardly renewed day by day. There's an assumption there. And that assumption is that I am spending time in God's word and I'm spending time with God in prayer. The things that are happening to me compared to eternity are light and momentary. They may not seem like it at the time, but they're going to end. Someone told me once that there are things in this world that we cannot see that are more real than the things that we can see. 
I'm going to say that again. There are things in this world that we cannot see that are more real than the things that we can see. Look around this room. Everything you see will be destroyed by fire in the end days. Jesus promised that. There are things in this room that we cannot see. There are angels and there are souls of men and women. And those things will last forever. So it's a matter of perspective and focus. Am I looking at the temporary or am I looking for the permanent and the eternal? The third solution to disappointment with God, we need to get a heart to learn. We need to see the opportunity to grow in my trust in God. I meet with some of the leaders from Celebrate Recovery and sometimes things don't go according to plan. And I've told a couple of our leaders, we need to see problems as opportunities. They look at me like I'm nuts. I might be, but what I meant was a problem is an opportunity for them to grow in leadership and it's an opportunity to help this other person grow in discipleship. Rather than getting all stressed out, let's look for ways to see this glorify God. My friend asked, how do we trust God for salvation, but not for every event that happens in life? Do you realize how difficult it was for salvation to be obtained? God had to reconcile a sinful, rebellious, dead human race to himself. And someone had to die in order for that to happen. And then they had to come back from the dead. My problems are pretty easy to deal with compared to that. I need to see that when problems happen in my life, or God is able to deal with that. And if he doesn't change my circumstances, he still has a plan. The second part of getting a heart to learn is I need to learn to be content. Philippians 4.13, it's on bumper stickers, it's on football players' helmets. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But the context of that, Paul is saying, I have learned the secret to being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether clothed or naked, whether I have a lot or a little, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Yes, even be content in difficult circumstances. I usually don't hear it quoted like that. I need to grow in being content. We had a speaker at Celebrate Recovery who told us that expectations are preconceived resentments. When I have expectations of other people and I don't express those, I am setting myself up for resentment because they aren't going to be able to deliver on my expectations. It goes back to being content. When I'm content with what's going on, I have a lot fewer expectations of other people. The fourth solution to disappointment with God, get on your knees and pray. Yes, I know, I should have listed that as number one. The reason I didn't, I've, I've talked with a lot of people who have come to me and they've said, Dave, done everything I can, nothing's working, I guess all I can do is pray. When we try and do things in our own strength, we really shouldn't expect things to change. 
Someone told me once that prayer is not for God's benefit. It usually doesn't change the situation. What happens is if I pray that my will becomes, that God's will is, becomes my will, that God conforms my will to his will, things will go a lot better. When I pray, he changes my heart more than he changes the situations. And that's where I need to start. I need to start seeing things from his perspective. When faced with trials, we have the same choices that John the Immerser, Martha, and Leah had before them. Will we choose by faith that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is good and he is God, and that he deserves to be followed regardless of the outcome? Or will we choose to be a victim? Or will we choose to be victorious? Would you pray with me as we end? What will we do when God doesn't meet our expectations? Father, I know that there are some in here who want more information. They're trying to decide if Jesus is the Messiah, if he's really worth being followed. Lord, help them to make that decision by faith. And Lord, for those of us who are like Martha, that we still want things done in our way, Father, help us to see that even when it looks like nothing is happening, you are working, and you're working so that you will be glorified. You can take things like the death of a loved one and turn that into something glorious. But Lord, also, like Leah, sometimes you allow us to stay in our situation for a long time. And our decision by faith needs to be that you still are worthy of our worship. You're still worthy to be followed. You're still worthy of our adoration and our love. Lord, help us. Help us to change our expectations. Lord, we ask this for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to that message. We hope that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to Journey, head to our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and hit the Give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your gift helps us to continue providing resources like this every single week. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website for updates and additional information. Hey, God bless you guys and have a great day.